Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. I wanted to do something just a little bit different on today's show. So I thought I would go to my Facebook page and ask my community if they would find it beneficial if I were to do a Q&A, a live Q&A, but it was live just with me ask, uh, answering the questions that were previously asked, obviously, on the live feed. And I had an overwhelming response. So I went ahead and I did it, and it was a fantastic live Q&A. And I think I might make a regular feature of this. I think it's quite important to, uh, to go to the community and take those questions that people can't ask anywhere else. Now, it wasn't just property-related questions. Um, it was general business. A lot of questions were coming in about, you know, what sort of things I learned during lockdown and the things that I learn on a daily basis because, you know, business changes, doesn't it? And the whole, you know, the whole horizon in terms of business and the economy is just forever evolving. And it's really hard sometimes to know what to listen to and, you know, know which report to take as being actually the one that's, you know, correct because there's so much conflicting advice out there. So the next sort of um, 45 minutes or so is a live Q&A from my Facebook page. Hope you enjoy it, a little bit different. And if you do enjoy it, I would absolutely love for you to click that review button and just leave a text review so I can see um, where I can improve on the podcast and if there's anything at all that I can do for you and my community. So sit back, grab yourself a brew and enjoy. Hey everyone, good afternoon. It's not normally um, something that I do at five to two in the afternoon doing a live feed. I posted last week in my page if people would benefit from me doing a regular or you know a random Q&A session. So I've decided just to try it out, see how it goes. I'll quite happily do a Q&A session if we get enough people um, on board, obviously asking questions, etc. Um, so I'm here for the next, I don't know, see how it goes, 15 or 20 minutes to take your questions. And hi, Julie, you're the first one in. And to take your questions on property or business or marketing or social media or raising your profile, anything like that, and um, see if I can sort of give you a direct response and a direct answer straight away. So what I'd encourage you all to do if you are live with us on this feed is to type in a question and I suppose, you know, between me and whoever else is watching, we can get around to answering it live for you, okay? So I've got a couple of questions already that have come in that people have sent me directly that I can start it off with. Um, But what I'd encourage you all to do is just type in those questions now and see if we can help you move forward. So hi to Julie, hi to Marilise from Cambridge. SNG, you're straight in with the first question then. So what return on investment do I aim for? It's a really good question. And I think the thing is with return on investment, it's very personal, isn't it? Now, when people say to me, what looks like a good deal? You know, what's a good deal? And there really isn't such a thing. It's like saying, you know, what's a good car? Um, They're all very different and it really depends on what you're looking for personally and what you're personally trying to strive towards. Now, we have a rule of investment ourselves. So it is important you've got to draw a line in the sand and you've got to have a set of rules that only you are happy with because otherwise you'll pretty much take on any deal and it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work. So for us, 
our return on investment, if we've got money locked in the deal, it needs to be a minimum of 15% ROI. Okay, now that's ROI, not ROCE. Those are very two, you know, two very different numbers. But the return on investment would be 15% minimum. But the, the thing is, we look for cash flow as well on top of that. So for us, we need to make a minimum of £500 a month net cash flow for the deal to work. Because if we don't get that, it's not going to work for us. Because cash flow is king and it's really important right now to be um, liquid it's really important to be liquid and then you can move forwards. You know, when we're going into times that are really uncertain right now with the economy, are we going to see a dip? Are we not going to see a dip? It's important that you've got cash in the bank ready to go. So for us, return on investment is 15%, but it still doesn't stop there. So it's all very much down to how much money are you prepared to lock into the deal as well. Now, we like to do something called momentum investing. So the whole of our portfolio has been built on the fact that we buy we add value and then we refinance and then we get as much of our initial purchase costs back out of the deal. Now that's going to change your return on investment figure, of course, considerably, because if you've got no money left in the deal, that ROI is going to be infinite, which means that the property is a no money left in deal. Um, but you've got to be obviously very careful on how much uh, leverage you have on the deal as well, because you've got a future proof. So I hope that answers your questions. Quite a long answer to that. Um, but the ROI for us is 15% minimum because we know we can do that and we know we can do better. Okay, Sunny, hi. Um, Sunny's saying, hi, Rick from London. I've just joined your group. Very excited to learn more. Okay, awesome. Sunny, ask me a question. This is a live Q&A. So give me some questions. Give me something to chew on. Um, Julie, what is your advice for anyone wanting to do rent to rent? All right, it's a great question. Now, I posted a couple of things this morning about rent to rent. Where do I start? Um... Rent to rent is a very good strategy if it's done properly. Now, you know, there's a lot of misconceptions about rent to rent and a lot of people that are, you know, sort of using terminology that it's illegal and it's this and it's that and it's the other. So rent to rent is a perfectly good strategy and it's not subletting. Now, people that say it's subletting, first of all, um, and even if you've got the consent of the owner, most mortgage companies will not allow you to sublet. And that's correct. However, it's not subletting because you can only sublet if you're the tenant and you should not be the tenant as the rent to renter. You should be the manager, the operator, not the tenant. So if people are asking you to sign AST contracts on a rent to rent deal, then it's not the right setup. It's not correct. Now, Julie, say, what, what advice would I give to people that want to start rent to rent? Now, I understand that rent to rent is a very attractive proposition for many people that are just starting in the property market because maybe you haven't got a lot of money. Maybe you want to cut your teeth, you want to learn, you want to get the experience so you can move on to the mortgage ladder. So my advice would be um, take some education. Now, I'm not plugging education here. This is not, a you know, I don't do sales on my feeds, not very often, but it's really important you understand Number one, the legalities of running a HMO property because they are fraught with legislation and they are fraught with breaches because people don't understand HMO management regulations, HHSRS regulations, don't understand licensing, don't understand minimum room sizes and requirements and don't understand Article 4 direction. Now, I can't go into all of those different things today, but my 
answer to your question, Julie, would be for those looking to get into rent to rent, take some education. Now, there are loads of either there are free courses out there, there are paid courses, there are mentorships, but there are free webinars, there are free things like this, you know, on my page that can help you move forwards. Um, so that's number one. Take some proper education from people that teach how to do it the correct way. Now, unfortunately, like any industry, there are lots of cowboys in the rent-to-rent -rent industry, lots of people doing it wrong, lots of people just trying to make a quick book, and they always seem to fail. Now, um, I don't have a lot of rent-to-rents in my portfolio. I think I've got five, not, so only five, but we've had them for years, you know. We've signed for like, I'm into 10 years on, our, on some of them, into the tent, you know, coming into signing up for another five-year deal, because we do it well and we do it, you know, correctly. Um, so take education, make sure you do it properly. And finally, make sure that you do not put your landlord at risk with anything that you do. And if you're not sure about your obligations, then, then check them. If your landlord or if you are complicit in putting your landlord at risk of losing their mortgage because you're breaching their mortgage terms, then you need to be very, very aware of what you can and what you can't do. I hope that answers your question, Julie. There's a lot of things um, that, you know, that are wrong in the rent-to-rent -rent industry, but there are also a lot of things that are right if you do it well. Okay. Um, hi, Carl. Is it Carl? Yeah. Carl is saying, how do you overcome the questions about rent-to-rent -rent experience when you don't have any? Okay, that's a great question. It's all about rent-to-rent -rent today. Um, be honest, Carl. Now, I've got this policy and this value of, you know, honesty and transparency is absolutely the best policy. It's the best thing you can do. So just be honest. Now, people buy into people. And when I did my first rent to rent, and I hadn't got any before, um, I was asked, you know, how many rent to rents have you done? How many of these have you done before? And I say, look, if I'm completely honest with you, I haven't done any, but I've got experience in other fields. You know, I've got credibility. I've got knowledge. I'm part of a wider community um, that helps me. I'm part of you know, one of the biggest property communities um, that are available on the internet. And, you know, I'll be completely honest with you. So the worst thing you could do, Carl, is lie. We don't lie. You know, we don't, we don't blag because you'll be found out at some point and it's not going to help your credibility. So they'll either get it or they won't. And if you haven't got any experience, then tell them. But the way that we do our marketing is we don't really look for rent-to-rents through agents. We go direct to vendor. So, you know, we write to the owners of the properties that have already got licensed HMOs and ask them if they would like to, you know, give their properties to us on a, you know, a, a scheme, a rent-to-rent -rent type scheme. So it cuts out the agents and you don't have to go down that route of having provable accounts and what have you. And it's just the lowest hanging fruit. And we find it's a lot easier for us to be able to market in that way. Does that make any sense? Hope it does, Carl. Hi, Sunny. Thanks, Rick. I want to start rent-to-rent. -rent. Is this a rent-to-rent -rent thread today? It wasn't meant to be, but it's cool if you want it to be. Um, I want to start rent to rent Can you advise me where I can gather the funding? The funding for what, Sonny? The funding, just explain what you mean. So if you're talking about funding to start a business, um, per se, because any business will need funds, you can't really start a business with no money, then um, lots of different ways. You know, you could go to the bank for small business loans. Uh, maybe you could take angel investors on, family members, etc. But... I think what you're probably referring to is funds to do the property up. Now, I've just mentioned that with rent to rent, you can look for properties that are already HMOs um, by going direct to the vendor. Now, by doing that, number one, they should already be compliant. Well, not always, but they should be. 
Number two, they should already be licensed if it needs a license. And number three, they should already have the necessary planning consent, which means if, if it's in Article 4, then you can still take the property over. So it's the lowest hanging fruit. Now, there's not many out there, but there are some properties out there that you don't need to actually put any money into because they're already ready to go. They're already um, licensed. They're already um, occupied. They're already decorated to a great standard. So you don't need a huge amount of cash. Um, but if you do need money to go into a rent to rent, um, then you're going to have to look for investors. So that's networking, getting people to come into your community. Now, we could go on on a tangent there regarding um, investors because investors are, are not just about the money. If you're looking for an investor, it's the whole relationship thing. It's like, it's like a marriage. Um, now, we've only got two investors uh, in our business that we work with, and they are marriages almost because you've got to understand the values of your investor. If you're looking for money, why do they want to invest with you? What are they looking for as an exit plan? Are they looking to get involved? Are they looking to have an armchair investment? It's the whole bringing people into your community and understanding whether or not you can work with that person. So when it comes to investment, there is much more than just the money. Now, I've got loads of workshops on this. It's, now, it's a quite a big topic, but it is really, um, really important that you get it right from the beginning. Because the worst case scenario, if you've got investors or joint venture partners in your business that you fall out with over a period of time, it's not going to be any fun. It's not going to be any fun at all. And you know what? The whole point of doing business is to make life easier for you. Otherwise, you wouldn't do it, right? You want more money. You want more freedom. You want more time. You want to spend time with your family um, and all of the above. Now, if you can't do that and it actually makes it worse, there's no point in doing it anyway. Yeah. So, folks, can I ask you to do me a favor? I'm going to be here for as long as you want me. Could you click on that share button? And we can get this out. Um, I'm not, there's no sales. I'm not plugging. You know what I'm like. Um, I'm just here to provide value. But if you click on that share button, I'd appreciate it. And then we can just bring more people into the conversation. All right. So, um, Duncan, what margins do I look for in rent to rent? I did just cover that, Duncan. Um, you may, maybe you missed it. So, um, a rent to rent deal, we, we need to make £500 a month net profit, a minimum of every month. And that's taking into consideration a 10% voids off the bottom line. So if we don't do £500 a month, there's, not, there's no point in doing it um, because you're not going to make that much money. If you've got a property that cash flows at £300 a month and you get one void and that void stays with you for a couple of months, you're going to be working for free and you're going to be running someone else's house for nothing. It's not really worth it. So we look for £500 a minimum net profit, Duncan. hope that answers your question. Um, SNG Limited, do you use builders agreements for all of your work? Well, no, we don't now. We did do in the past, but we don't need to because we've been working with our builder. In fact, we're in business with our builder. Um, we do flip projects with our builder. There's so much more about my business I don't talk about. Um, we do flips, um, which I don't really talk about because HMOs is my main strategy. Um, but yeah, we do flips with our builder and we, we have a relationship with our builder that's been built up over years and years. Now, if you are working with a new builder, then it probably would pay you to have a JCT contract. That's a JCT contract, Joint Contract tribunal I think it stands for um, but it's not necessary and it's not a legal requirement but if you don't know your builder it's probably a good idea to at some point sit down around the table with your architect if you've got an architect on board and then you come up with a plan of the building phase the payment phase and the exit phase 
and then you get to sign the JCT contract as the, as the company, the builder and the architect will sign it as well. And then that's kind of legally binding. Um, but we don't do that now. We don't need to because, you know, we've been in business for quite a while and we trust our builder, they trust us. So it works either way. Does that answer your question? What's your name, by the way? S&G. All I've got is S&G. Hi, Julie. Julie's saying, would you recommend people invest solely in property or have different forms of investment? Great question. I think it's always good to have a very varied, when I say portfolio, I mean portfolio of investments, not just property. But the problem at the moment is the economy, and we just don't know where it's going to go. Now, the only tangible investment um, vehicle that we can measure over time that we know always goes up in value is property. So at the moment, yes, of course, put your money in property. At the moment, I wouldn't personally. Now, this is only my opinion, folks. I'm not qualified to give financial advice. I wouldn't be touching anything to do with markets or shares or the Forex or um, ISIS. ISIS at the moment, you know, I mean, there's nothing at all that, that gives you any kind of decent return anywhere right now. And it's hard. And it's hard for people that have got money in pensions that they need to get out there and they need to get to make it work, which then incentivize people for the wrong reasons. And then they start to do personal loans and sometimes personal loans go wrong. So whilst I think it's great to have a diverse portfolio of investments, I think it's really hard at the moment to choose what they should be. Now, it's not kind of in the same market, but I mean, we can talk about jewellery and gold um, and, you know, and lodging your money in gold. Now, if, you, if you're in the, like, the watch market, the high-end watch market, uh, there are only certain watches, if you can get them, that will go up in value considerably. Now, and there are certain watches that if you buy retail at £7,500, the minute you walk out the shop, they're worth 14000 but you've got to know how to get those and you've got to know what to do. So that's one element. Um, the next element, obviously, is gold and silver, if you watch the markets. But everything is so volatile right now. So we've just entered into a recession. My advice would be, at the moment, having cash reserves is probably good advice. Because when the markets do change, and we are going to see a correction in the property market, it's a given. When that happens... Well, it's going to happen probably when all the government incentives start to come down. But if you've got cash ready to go in the bank to move quickly to make those offers, that's going to put you in a really good, strong position moving forwards. Hope that helps, Julie. Um, in terms of my investment, so we've got property software. We invest in mainly all of our um, investments are in property. So we've got property software. We've got money that we do lend out. So we give, we are angel investors ourselves and we lend money out. But it's so volatile at the moment because we don't know what's going to happen. And is that money safe? Well, the thing is with um, unsecured loans, they attract such a high rate of interest because they are unsecured. So the clue kind of in the title. But we've got commercial property. Um, we're actually, look, um, obviously we've got HMOs. There was a rumour going around a few weeks ago that we're exiting the HMO market. No idea where that started. Completely untrue. Um, we're selling a couple of flats because the ROCE, the return on capital employed, is, is low now because we've stripped the asset. So we're going to get the equity out and move on to another deal with those. But that's good investing. That's sophisticated investing. But we're actually looking now at um, a retail park, would you believe? We're looking at a £4 million retail park um, just to diversify a little bit. But I'll talk a little bit more about that as, you know, as or if it progresses moving forwards. But we've got pubs. Um, we've got garages. Uh, we don't have any shops. Not interested in taking on shops, obviously. Uh, we've got service accommodation. 
uh, serviced holiday lets. Now, serviced holiday lets, I think, are a great buy-in right now if they're in the right location. So we charge up to £1,800 a week for our holiday lets um, in the right location. I think the staycations at the moment in the UK are going to be here to stay, literally. I don't think they're going anywhere. Service accommodation, as in um, working service accommodation, is very tentative at the moment as well because we don't know what the economy is going to look like on the other side. I hope that answers your question, Julie. Sunny, um, you want to start your rent-to-rent -rent business? I think I answered that one, didn't I? I hope I did. Uh, Duncan saying thanks, no problem. Hi, Greg. Greg's saying, oops, sorry, Greg, it's quite a long question. Um, have you ever done or thought about international property investment? I found a friend, or I have a friend, not so random, who's based in Florida and doing flips there. I'm thinking about funding some of their projects and currently working through the practicalities legals. No, I haven't. Now, I, there's a reason for that. Um, I like, I'm a bit of a control freak, if I'm completely honest. And I like to be able to have my assets almost at hand's reach so I can go there and I can visit them. Now, I don't get involved a lot in my portfolio anymore. We've got a team of people that do that. But I know that if I need to, I can go there. I could literally be there in 10, 15, 20 minutes, depending on which area of the town it's in. Now, I don't understand enough about the foreign market. And I was asked about two years ago to go on a television program that was recording this year for next year for ITV. And I think it was in Greece. And I was asked to um, be the case study on purchasing a property for a pound from a local government incentive in Greece because it was the, the properties were in the villages, all the kids have left and gone into the towns and left a load of empty properties. So they were, the government are offering them for a pound and then you can go in, do them up, get to keep it and be on telly. Now I thought long and hard about this. And then I actually thought, look, I know what I'm doing in the UK. I'm pretty good with the legislation. My ears to the ground, know the market very well, know the trends. I've got no idea about any of that abroad, even if it's flipping property. Now, you know, I don't know much about leases abroad, don't know much about any of that. So, Greg, that's kind of stopped me from doing it. Now, going back into the days when Bulgaria was a great buy, who remembers that? Give me a thumbs up if you remember when Bulgaria was the next big thing. Apparently, you know, it was the gold rush and people were flocking to Bulgaria to buy property because, you know, they'd been told and everyone was talking about it going up massively in value. And then people got stung within probably two years when they realised actually there was no equity and most people lost their money. And that also put me off. So I don't know enough about it, Greg. And I think if you're going to do it, you've really got to have someone on board, as it seems you have, that does know the legislation. But if you're just a cash investor, an angel investor, then you probably don't need to know the legislation. But just make sure that you get everything watertight. You get your agreement signed up. You both have a lawyer and it's done properly because there's nothing worse than doing a handshake deal and then realising afterwards that it was the wrong thing to do and, and you're expecting different things and it goes wrong. Does that help? Hope it does. Okay, what else have we got? Um, Murat, hi. Julie saying, do you think your experience in the police has made you a better landlord? Uh, without doubt, Julie, without doubt. Um, in so many different ways. It's really, you've got some great questions today. I think that um, in the police, you, you get to be able to and have the confidence to host conversations at every single level that society offers every level from working with barristers and working with judges in um, crown courts all the way down 
and everything in between to working with people that have got, unfortunately, you know, uh, low intelligence and don't know how to, um, to manage themselves and their lives and everything in between. Now, obviously, transferable skills. People that are in the police actually think they don't have a lot of transferable skills, but they probably have more than most. So bringing that into what we do now, being able to talk to people is probably one of the best life skills that you can have, isn't it? Talking and listening. Um, and you get taught all of that in the police. So you get taught how to negotiate, obviously, for obvious reasons. You get taught how to interview people and ask the right questions to get the right answer. You get taught to listen, which is massively powerful. And then, of course, you get taught to be assertive. And sometimes you've got to be all of those as a landlord. Now, um, in terms of the other element and drugs and, you know, sort of tenants being naughty, because sometimes they are, um, you, you get to know the legislation behind all of that. You get to know the law. Now, I think it's really funny when I look at some of the Facebook posts and people start quoting about, you know, just kick people out and don't go down the possession route and I know the law that's a great one I know the law and they actually don't they think they do and then maybe they've read an article or they've read a blog post or they've spoken to someone they've given them some bad advice because very often 90% of it is wrong so yes absolutely Julie I mean everything the law the way to talk to people the way you listen to people offering advice now I was a supervisor so I was a sergeant so um, you know I was I was doing that uh, not just at street level but with my team as well and then to senior management and superior management as well so yes very much so I think it's made me a better landlord better person better father probably a better husband as well I like to think so um more understanding more understanding of other people's needs not so single-minded but it also can have the flip side and it can make you institutionalized in the same manner because when you're in the police you get to trust your family which are cops and your cops are your family you don't really get you become quite untrustworthy so it can have a negative effect as well because you're dealing with um, society at a completely different level a lot of it you know you, people wouldn't understand because you don't see it um, but you get you know every day in the police that's kind of you know your bread and butter if you like so there's flip sides to it um, post-traumatic stress you know, I do know a lot of police officers that have got that because of what you see on a daily basis. But you learn to cope, you learn to deal with it. Great question again. Thank you. Hi, Sammy. What should be considered if a person is entering the idea of buying up all the houses on their street? Uh, what should be considered? Um, all right, I think I need to know a little bit more about the question and the... Um, what, what do you mean? Now, if you're buying the whole street and you are adding value you've got to make sure first of all if you intend to buy the whole street you would have to lock it all up down at an option or buy it all at once if you're looking to buy a house add value and get it refinanced then you're going to be competing against yourself when you buy next door because if you're adding value and you're getting let's say number one liverpool road revalued then you and, and you refinance it then if that refinance then is searchable for the, um, the agent that you were looking to buy number two off, that's going to be the local comparable. So property number one will be the local comparable because that's what it's worth now. So therefore, you're going to have to pay a lot more for property number two, etc. So if you're going to buy the whole street, either buy it all at once or lock each house down at a pre-agreed price on a lease option or maybe an exchange with delayed completion, because otherwise you can find you're competing against yourself. Does that make sense? I'll try and explain it a little bit easier. So two properties side by side, and you want to buy both of them, but you can't buy that one yet until you've refinanced that one. So you buy this one, 
and you buy it for 100 grand and you refinance it because you add value, you do an extension and you, let's say you refinance it for 150. So that's now worth 150 because you've added value. Well, that will make the property next door worth 150. So when you come to buy it, you're not going to buy it at 100 grand now because the local comparable is your house next door that you've just either flipped or you've refinanced. So then you're going to have to pay 50 grand more and so the story goes. So it would make a lot of sense if you're going to do that is to lock them out on lease options or buy them all at once if you've got enough funds to do that. Um, we bought the whole street before. You know, we have got, we just sold a couple of them. So we bought number 14, number 16, number 18 and number 20. Um, there was one property next door that we didn't buy. So we bought 99% of the whole street. But we bought them all at once. Um, and they were all actually on one title. So we split the titles when we purchased because we had an exit that we knew we'd probably have to sell a couple of them further down the line to pay back the investor. And then we left with the rest of them for free. Hope that helps. I need to know a little bit more, but I hope you picked up a couple of things from there. Uh, Murat saying Bulgaria and Hungary. Yeah. Do you remember that, Murat? I mean, it was the gold rush, wasn't it? Bulgaria, Bulgaria. Let's go over to Bulgaria. Boom. I know lots of people have lost lots of money over that. Julie, um, every day is a school day in property. What was the last thing you learned? Goodness me. I learn things every day. I think I learned recently that... Um, what did I learn recently? Everything's made up on opinion. Now, no matter what you read, you'll read 10 stories and there'll be 10 different opinions. Now, going into lockdown, the big companies, do you remember, Julie, like Nationwide and Ricks, they were all saying that we we're going to be looking at a 15 to 20% decrease in the next three months in property value. And that was it, wasn't it? Bang. Everyone was like, shit, the market's crashing. It's going to be this, going to be that. I wrote a book called How to Make Cash in a Property Crash. Um, but that was more about statistics. It wasn't about predictions. It was about historic um, statistics. And then, of course, it didn't happen. So then, you know, Nationwide and Rick started to report, well, we're going to look at maybe a 10% reduction, then maybe a 15%. And now it's actually 1.7%. And I think I've learned over the last three months, I've learned two things. Actually, I've learned three things. Number one, um, you, can't, you can't predict the unknown. You just can't. Now, we've, we've not known a pandemic like this. So the numbers that people are, are banding about are crystal ball numbers. So I've learned from that that you can't go even to the biggest players. You can't take it as given until we know and, and things start to unfold. Number two, I've learned that no matter what happens, as long as you've got your family and your health, nothing else matters. And I've, you know, that's quite odd coming from me as an entrepreneur and a business owner and um, social media sort of producer and teaching other people. But I learned during lockdown because you know what? During lockdown, there were some squeaky bum moments, obviously, for us because, you know, at that time we had about 120 tenants. Our rent roll was just shy of 50 grand a month. I've got a pub. I've got service holiday lets. And all of a sudden, everything stopped. And I was worried, of course, you know, I didn't stop providing to my community and giving out the information, but I was concerned about my business. Now, fortunately, coming out of that and everything was fine. But I came to the understanding during that period that no matter what happens, no matter what happens, and if you've got your family and you've got your health, it doesn't really matter that much. Because I went to the understanding that if my business went, unfortunately it didn't, and I know and I feel sorry for those that did, but it wouldn't be my fault, so it was out of my control. 
And I was looking around and spent so much time with my family, which mean the world to me. And I was saying, you know what, it doesn't matter. We could start again. We could sell pencils on the bridge. As long as we've got each other and as long as we've got our health, we can start again. And I think I learned that, a big lesson for me. And the third lesson for me is that I think that um, I've realised that life is really short. And watching people suffer through the coronavirus pandemic and watching people lose their loved ones, thinking that, you know, things can change like that. I am going to do a feat. Um, I promised myself I wasn't going to do this. But um, I've had quite a lot of nasty experiences in my life, personally, not just in the police. And I don't really share them. But one of them, um, particularly, I will share. And not now. It's not for today. But it's very, very personal. And it's something that I will have to take with me to the grave um, because, you know, I made a mistake about 20 years ago. Big mistake. Not criminal, but within my family. And I, um, I estranged myself from a close family member. But that's, that's for another story. So all of that kind of comes together. And during lockdown made me realise that as long as we've got each other, it doesn't matter because we can all start again. So health, finances are important. Are they as important as I thought they were before? Probably not. Does that answer your question? I think I've learned so much, but that's, those are my recent learnings. In terms of property, um, have I learned much in property recently? I'm always learning. Legislation changes. You know, legislation changes on a daily basis. Sometimes it's hard to keep up to date with it. But I do find actually that my news feeds that I do every day actually help me. So it's not just about supplying it to the community. It's about learning myself as well from the back of that, which actually helps me tremendously myself keep myself update. Because if I don't do that, I probably wouldn't research the market every day in the way that I do. Um, so I'd probably fall behind myself. So it actually helps me too. Hope that answers your question, Julie. It's going to take a quick slurp of water. Great feed, by the way, folks. Click that share button. Bring some more people in. Um, it's all good to do this sometimes. You know, very impromptu live feeds like this um, are great for everybody, aren't they? It's just good to have a chat. It's almost like just having a coffee and just, just chatting, isn't it? Okay, Carl. Carl's saying, what would you say are the top things to consider if you're looking to invest in a holiday let? Great question. Okay, location. All about location. Um, holiday lets are going to be in England the most well Wales you know in the UK holiday lets are going to be really popular moving forward but it is about location so Carl I would say if you can get a coastal holiday let then you're laughing for life now my property is on the beach if anyone's seen it you've seen me do my lives haven't you from the garden there in fact we were going to go there this week but the weather's not very good um, and because of the location it's pretty much full all year round. And we charge, as I say, up to £1,800 a week in peak season. Now, that's not going away. That's there for life. So that's going to form part of my pension. So my pension plan, by the way, folks, my retirement plan is 10 HMOs and my holiday let. And that's it. And that's all I need to retire. But that's got to be mortgage-free, of course. So, Carl, I think the, the, the biggest thing is location. Everything else will work on top of that. So, number two is um, having a really good high-end product. So, when people go away and they stay away, they want hotel standard. Absolutely, 100%. So, you've got, you can't just go in and put a lick of paint on. You've got to make it hotel standard. Because that will bring people back. Now, a lot of, I don't know what the percentage is, but a good percentage of our bookings are repeat bookings. And that really makes it easier for us marketing the property. And number three is cleaning. Cleanliness 
is paramount. So when people go into your service holiday let, they will expect it to be the cleanest that it can be. Um, you know, they will move the bed to see if there's any dust on the skirting boards. They will. And once they find one thing, they'll find something else and then it will turn into a nasty experience. So number one, location. Number two, good quality. And number three, cleaning. Does that help? Hope it does. Um, Sunny saying, thanks Rick. Do you have a video explaining all the property acronyms? I don't think I do. Maybe we should put some together. Julie has a good quiz every week. Um, I can't, Julie does a little like property quiz every week. I think it's, it's on a Friday. That's really cool. That's good fun. I do those. I don't publish them. I don't always get 100%, by the way. Um, but I don't, I don't have one, Sunny. Maybe I should put one together for you. Um, I'll probably do it as a PDF rather than a video. Um, hope that helps. Um, Julie's saying, if someone is looking at starting a business or going self-employed, what would be your three key points of advice? So if someone's looking to start a business, what key three things would I tell them? Number one, believe in yourself. There's no point in living somebody else's life. Now, I know that no matter what you do in life, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. So be yourself and trust in yourself. Take advice where it's needed and only from the right people. So that's number one, trust in yourself, because you can do it. We are all human beings. I posted the other day, didn't I, about that 19-year-old, was he 19? The kid that did the Gymshark stuff and has just been valued at over a billion. He trusted in himself. And I'm sure that when he started that business, there were people around him saying, get a job, do this, go to unit, blah, blah, blah. So number one, trust in yourself. Number two, start with the end in mind. So like anything we do in life, we have to have a plan. Otherwise, you just drift. Now, if you don't have a plan in life, that's cool, but you will just drift. And it's almost like getting into a car and having no destination. You're just going to drive around and you don't know whether you got there or not. So you've got to reverse engineer your goals. So what does that look like? Well, work out what it is you're looking to achieve. So your business, what, what are you looking to achieve from the business? I presume it's going to be very largely financially led. So how much money are you looking for? Are you looking to get out of your current job? Uh, if you are, how much money do you need? So you've got to have a plan because if you don't, if you can't measure it, you can't control it. So you need that figure and then you reverse engineer that figure. So how do you get to that monthly goal? And we do that by breaking all of the elements down in your particular business, because I don't know what business we're talking about here, onto small digestible chunks and then onto weekly tasks and then onto daily tasks. So believe in yourself, number one. Start with the end in mind. Obviously, you need to know where you're going in order to get there. And then number three, do not give up. It is so easy to give up when it gets hard. Now, as human beings, we have this natural fight or flight response. And this goes back to when we were in the cave as cavemen and women. And when you used to have to leave the cave to eat, you had to go out and hunt. But then you could become the hunted and your life could be in danger. And then just to go back into the cave was the comfort zone. Now, this has never left us. This, you know, this is a survival instinct, but it's the same in anything you do. So when you're in your comfort zone, you're happy. And if you don't move out of your comfort zone, then every day is going to be the same. You won't move forwards, but it's uncomfortable because you're not sure. You're, it's all new and it's all untested. But then very quickly, your stretch zone, as that's called, becomes your new comfort zone. And then you're in your new comfort zone because you've tried it and you've tested it and then so on and so on. So in business, we've only really got two levels. You've got chaos or you've got calm. And that's kind of it. There's not really any kind of in between with business. You're either in calm or you're in chaos. 
And when you're in one, you're striving, you know, to, to do things differently. So number one, I would say believe in yourself. Number two, start with the end in mind and get a goal. And number three, simply do not give up, okay? Don't, when you're in that stretch zone, it's normal. You're going to get scared. You're going to be a little bit, you know, you're going to feel a little bit odd. But you've got to stay there until you get it right. Now, I've got, I'll show you, I'm in my boardroom here. Where is it? Right, look at this, folks, okay? Haven't obviously staged this. It's going to be back to front. You won't be able to read that. I've failed over and over and over again in my life. And that is why I succeed. That's on the wall right next to me. You, you learn by mistakes, you know, and as long as you're doing things ethically and you're not taking people down, and there are people out there that will do that, then, you know, you've got to learn, yeah? So get the right people on board, take some help if you need it, and those are my three tips. I could go on. There's a lot more, but those are my top three. Um, Demeter, hi, Rick. If you have a few properties in your name in terms of inheritance tax, what would be more efficient to buy in the future. More property through limited, okay. Get a lot of these questions, um, Demeter, and, and because I will only tell you uh, and advise you on things that I know is either number one true or number two, I've done it myself. And I can't advise you on that because that's gonna be very individual advice. So tax is very personal, and it really depends on you and your current tax level and so much more. So what I would encourage you to do is talk to a tax accountant and you know they can explain do some financial planning and do some business setup planning with a qualified tax accountant i'm sorry that's a bit of a cop out but i there's there are things that i am comfortable answering and things that i really shouldn't and that's one of the things that i really shouldn't because i'm not qualified to do so and sunny saying you shared it thank you anyway you're saying you shared it awesome um galena how student hmos will be affected if second lockdown will come it's a good question um, so before we go on to this question, folks, um, we are, what, half an hour into this. I'm happy to stay, but for, in order for me to do that, you've got to ask me some questions, okay? I think we're coming down the list now. So fire those questions over, and I'll stay for as long as, as you want me here, okay? So just a quick slurp of water. Or juice, I should say. All right, so how will the student market be affected? Well, I think it's easy to say, really. It's quite an easy answer, isn't it? That the student market has been heavily affected because there are some universities that are still not on a full academic curriculum. There are universities that, um, obviously for obvious reasons, can't take the whole of their student intake as they would normally. And that's going to affect the whole student industry this year, certainly. Now, I think by next year, things would have got back to relatively normal. Not, I don't think things will ever be normal in our lifetime, not as we knew them before, but I think relatively normal in terms of um, what we've been used to been dealing with. So the student market at the moment is very precarious. And what I would say is that if you've got student property or if you've got property that you're looking to get hold of and turn it into student digs, always have a plan B. And your plan B might be working professional people or even LHA tenants or universal credit tenants. Either or would work really well. So always make sure you have a plan B. Now, personally... I wouldn't be comfortable taking on student properties at the moment unless they're already on a signed contract. But that doesn't even guarantee that they're going to come in September, um, you know, for the academic year, because anything could happen. And if we've got a second lockdown and if it does happen, it's going to be really tough and it's going to be really um, hard for student landlords. So those are my thoughts. Just go into this with your eyes wide open. 
Uh, Julie, property as an industry is always evolving. What do you think will be the next big thing? Yeah, goodness me. What in, the next big thing in terms of strategy, Julie? Is that what you mean? I think at the moment, it depends. I mean, a lot of what we were governed by planning legislation, aren't we? Now, I think that the high street is, is pretty dead. I mean, it was dead two years ago, wasn't it? And all of a sudden, now we've had coronavirus, now we're still being propped up by the government and we're still being propped up by all of the incentives. So at the moment, you know, people are still there. I think moving forwards in the next 12 to 18 months, the high street's gone. Um, you know, Jeff Bezos put £74 billion on his net worth during lockdown, but that just goes to show that he's got a product that people need. Um, so I think the next big strategy will be commercial conversions to residential. Now, it's always been big. I think it's going to get bigger. So the high street as we know it isn't going to be as we know it moving forwards. Now, we've got a shortage of housing, haven't we? The government have got 300,000 houses a year to do, blah, blah, blah. We all know those stats. They never, um, they never get them. You know, no matter what government we have in power, they never seem to be able to get to those targets. So what better way, you know, for all these closed down shops and warehouses and factories, etc., to convert them? So that is going to be big um, coming forwards. Obviously, we're always down to, depending on what Mr. Robert Jenrick decides to do and when he decides to do it. But at the moment, you know, we are seeing a lot of easier ins when it comes to planning. And we need more of that. We need the government to realise that the planning legislation is so antiquated, they need to pull their finger out. And not just the government, local bloody councils are a massive bugbear when it comes to try and get planning over the line because they're stuck in the past. They can't see a vision for the future. And they're like, not in my backyard kind of scenario. So once we can get over that red tape, I think moving forwards... Serviced holiday lets are going to be a really good, solid strategy and conversions from commercial shops, shop frontages. When I say not uppers, because we can do uppers anyway, but shop frontages and uppers, I think that's going to be the next big thing. And for obvious reasons. Hello, Ivor. Ivor saying, should you furnish your single lets? Ooh, and I'm just about to let our first one bedroom flat. It's been a complete refurbishment. I've purchased all the white goods and was thinking, should I complete with other furnishings to increase the rental value? It's really difficult with single lets because in general, people like to bring their own furniture. And what we've found in the past, we furnish single lets and then people come and say, I've got my own couch, I've got my own bed, so can you take it out? And then you're stuck with like all of this furniture that you've got to put into storage. So my honest answer, Ivor, is no. I don't think it's a good strategy. Yeah, white goods, yes, definitely. But usually, single lets come unfurnished. Now, that's not to say there's not a market for furnished, because there is. So it really depends. I would say, talk to your agent and test what's wanted in your area and whether single let furnished properties are more desirable than the alternative. That's what I would do. Um, does it increase the rental value? Well, yes, it can do. But it can also give you a headache when it goes wrong. Because if you're furnishing it, unless they buy it from you, it's your responsibility to look after the maintenance and the wear and tear. So swings and roundabouts with that. Um, Carl, have you ever had or used a SaaS in your property business? Um, okay. It's a <laughs> yes. And yes. I can't go into the ins and outs of it. Um, and I don't want to go into the ins and outs of it because it's quite complicated. And obviously, it's got to be done in the right way. 
So what I would do is, Carl, talk to, we work with a guy called Kevin Whelan, and he's from Kingswood Law, and he deals with all of our sasses. Now, my pension as a police pension is protected. I can't get it out. So, but my wife's pension is very different. So, yeah, we've used it. We've lent some of it out. We've used some of it in commercial deals, etc. Um, but it is fraught with legislation and HMRC are very powerful. So what I would say again is I would talk to the, the people that do this every day and the regulated and got the professional indemnity to give you the right advice. But yes, is the answer. Um, Adiru, Idiru, sorry. Rick, what are your thoughts on micro apartments as a strategy to create more accommodation for professionals? <sighs> there is a big player doing this. I don't want to mention any names because I won't. Um, but there was a big player doing this. It was quite heavily coveted in the press um, that lost his business recently and went to prison. Um, it really depends. It depends on how you take them over. If you're buying them. Now, when you say micro apartments, how big? Because you don't really want to be taking on apartments that are less than 30 meters square. Now that's for exit reasons. It doesn't matter. Um, you know, you can do 27 meters square. But if you're looking to finance them or if you're looking to sell them moving forwards as individuals, so you can split the titles, sell them individually or refinance them individually, potentially you could, um, you could make a lot of money on doing it doing it that way. Now, if you're looking at taking them on and just having a commercial valuation over the one whole unit, you'd have to take advice on uh, how you could finance that. In, in terms of what I think of them, well, it depends on how micro they are, doesn't it? I mean, it really depends on how small they are. We've got a moral obligation to make sure we do things properly. We don't want to be cramming people into really tiny, teeny, weeny rooms. And of course, are there licensing issues as well moving forward? So what are my thoughts? I'm not a lover, if I'm honest. Um, you know, I like to do big, good quality. You saw the examples I gave last week, big rooms. Um, but we have got a housing shortage. So I'm going to sit on the fence with that one, if I may. Um, Idiru saying, yes, Sammy, just been looking at them lately, although you could argue they work where square foots. But yeah, I would say I'm going to sit on the fence with that. All right, folks, we are 45 minutes in. Are we done? Do we have any more questions? Um, I've got one more that I wanted to bring to the table because I did have this asked before the feed, and that's about evicting tenants. Now, I know Julie's here as well. Um, all I can say, really, folks, is that I'm sorry that the government haven't given us any kind of prioritisation on ASB tenants or tenants that are in the property causing problems right now. It's just something they've overlooked. We've had to live with it. It's not been easy. And I know there are a lot of people that have been pulling their hair out, you know, with problem tenants, not being able to evict them. But things aren't going to change anytime soon. You know, we've got a massive backlog. If you've served the reactivation protocol notices, then if your case gets to court, it's still going to be a massive backlog before we can evict tenants. We're just a victim of the circumstances here. But I think what I would say to you as a passing comment and as a final comment is that as frustrating as it may be and as saddening and heartbreaking as it may be, because I know that these are your properties, you've got to do things right. And, you know, you're part of my community. And, you know, if I can influence you in any way, I would just encourage you to do things right, no matter how tempted you are just to go and do all of the silly things that people have suggested by changing locks and turning the power off and taking the windows out and all of these silly things. No matter what happens, you've got to cover yourself. And as tempting as it may be for a few months' rent, 
Um, and you'd rather sleep safe at night, knowing that you've done it properly and knowing that when it's all over, you've got nothing to worry about. Okay, so I've got one more question that's just come in. I am going to answer. Would you agree to take a tenant on a license? All right, Joanna, this is again, this is really important you understand the Housing Act. Okay, now you can only really take a tenant on a license. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to recoil that. If your tenant is an individual, i.e. a person, if the property is their main or principal residence, number two, if they've got sole or exclusive occupation to at least a part of the property is number three, and if the landlord is not present is number four. If your tenant falls under that category or those categories, then you can only use an AST contract, an assured shorthold tenancy agreement. If you decide to give them a license because you spoke about it and somebody told you you can, then fine, you can give them a license. But if you ever evict them and just give them a week's notice and you don't adhere to the Housing Act legislation, that will be deemed as unlawful eviction and you can get prosecuted. So regardless of what agreement you give them and where you write it, if they are an individual, the landlord is not present, they've got principal, they've got, it's their main or principal property and they've got occupation over at least... Um, exclusive occupation over at least part of the property, you can only give them an AST contract. A license is not the correct agreement under those circumstances. Now, if you are a live-in landlord, then they will be lodgers, then they'll have a lodging agreement, which is not a Housing Act agreement. If it's a company you're dealing with, and the company are putting their own tenants in, i.e. members of staff, then you can use a license. But if they are tenants, and if they're on contracts, whether it's one contract between the whole of the property, or whether it's a contract individually, then it should only be an AST contract, okay? Hope that makes sense. All right, folks, thank you for that. Really appreciate it. It was a good one. It was the first one I've done on my page. I normally do these kind of things in um, my groups, etc. So I'm going to go now, folks. Um, I know that there are more questions coming in, but I am 45 minutes in. I'll do some more of these. Would you... Would you find these beneficial if I did more, folks? Just let me know now before I go. Just type in yes, please, if you would. Um, and then maybe I can do a regular one so people, maybe we could make it bigger. Maybe we, we could grow it. So just type in yes if you'd find these beneficial on a regular basis, just before I go, because when the live goes, it's over. Um, Joanna saying thank you, you're welcome. Uh, David saying yes, please. Okay, thank you, David. Julie saying yes, please. Thank you, Julie. Thank you all, by the way, for your great questions. Yvonne saying yes, please. Thank you, really useful. Uh, Tracy, yes, please. Okay, cool. David, thank you. No problem. You're welcome. Thank you all for your contributions. Carl saying yes, thank you. And don't forget, folks, it's, it's business as well. You don't just have to talk about property. Um, I can help with business as well. Sunny saying yes, please. Cool. Yvonne saying yes. Uh, Idaru saying thank you. Karen saying yes. Awesome. Okay. And Tanya saying yes, please. Uh, Marilise, yes please, and thank you for your time. Okay, great. So great feedback there, folks. Okay, I, can't, I haven't got time for any more questions now, um, but thank you for joining me. Don't forget to click that follow button and do whatever it needs to do. And if you fancy becoming a supporter, just click that supporter button. Love to see you on the other side. Thank you again, folks. See you soon.